Well, peace be with you. I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen here, explain this a little bit. So, when I was young, uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies was uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And, uh, you know, back in, in those days, uh, you, you actually had to be home and turn the TV on the actual time it was on. Uh, it's, like, it's not like there's no, like, pre-recording, no live streaming, you know, uh, PVRing or whatever the phrase is. It's like if it was on Tuesday at 5.30, you had to be home at Tuesday at 5.30 or else you're going to miss your favorite show. Anyway, this is a scene from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and it's from the Island of Misfit Toys. And it's interesting. So these toys uh, that have been kind of pushed aside by others, they don't really fit in anywhere else, and so they go to the Island of Misfit Toys. And so part of the reason why I started this message today like that is because I think that's, to be honest, that's how a lot of people of faith feel. Uh, We feel like misfits. Uh, God's people, Christians, people who seek to follow Jesus, feel in many ways like uh, misfits. Now, why is that? Well, part of the reason is because our North American context is changing. So historically, over the last little while anyway, Christians have experienced a place of privilege. And so in Canada, get this, in 1961, uh, which isn't a long time ago, relatively speaking, in 1961, guess what percentage of the population identified as Christians? 96%. 96%. Uh, Two years ago, Waybase came out with some uh, statistical data that on average, uh, what's the percentage of Canadians who are in worship every week in a service? Five to six percent. So it's a really interesting, evolving, changing situation we have. One of my professors wrote a book, uh, Brian McDonald, uh, as well with Brian Clark, one of his colleagues, said Canada's become a post-Christian society, and churches can no longer act as though Canada's culture is a Christian one as they once did. I think that's very obvious. So in a way, we are starting to catch up to the experience of um, Christians in other parts of the world, uh, experiences which are actually very difficult, and I'd like to chronicle some of them for you. According to Open Doors Canada, who tracks religious persecution around the world, 260 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution because of their faith in Jesus. This isn't moderate. This is high levels. So globally, that's about one in every eight Christians is experiencing right now high level of persecution. Quote, every day, an average of eight Christians are killed for their faith, and 23 are raped or sexually harassed for faith-related reasons. Every week, an average of 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. 276 Christian homes are burned or destroyed Every month, an average of 309 Christians are unjustly imprisoned for their faith, end quote. Just this past week, I don't know if you follow these things, I try to, a Voice of the Martyrs Canada talked about there was a baptismal service at a church in the Eastern Republic of Congo, and some two assailants apparently came into this church building with some package they left. It was full of explosives, and 14 people died. Uh, and, and, and so many others are wounded, taken to hospital. So this is just, just this past week. Now, we should also note that this is a, a hatred and persecution toward Christians, which is actually intensifying as time goes on in the modern period, uh, unprecedented in previous periods. So we could say, oh, maybe that's just in other parts of the world, and, and, and it certainly is more, and there's certainly high-persecution countries, but it's not something that's kind of like fading away. It's, it's, it's actually on the rise. Uh, Professor Don Carson, who's a, is a well-known scholar and, and writer, this is what he says, missiologists, 
uh, who track these types of things, like people who study mission and global missions, who track these uh, things, tell us that the last century and a half has witnessed more Christian martyrs than the previous 1,800 years combined. And it is not at all impossible if present trends continue in the West that opposition here to the gospel will extend beyond family disapproval, which happens currently, beyond trouble at work, which sometimes happens, condescension from intellectual colleagues, which happens, and the like to concrete persecution. And so the landscape is changing quite significantly. And the reason I say all this is today because we're looking at John 15 as a part of our journey through the Gospel of John. And verse 18 says this, and this is from the lips of Jesus, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And so before we explore this, I want to highlight three cautions, and I'll put them up here. These are oversimplifications. And I think Christians can sometimes be subject to this, so so we need, to, we need to kind of track this along as we go. So A, the sky is falling. This is a, a catastrophizing mentality that some people have. Okay, so something's starting to change with the relationship of Christians and the culture and the country. Something is, the sky is falling. And this is kind of a catastrophizing that, that people uh, take. And I don't think it's, it's always helpful. It doesn't mean that like rabid persecution is right around the corner. It might be, but we don't know. And so this is kind of an oversimplification. B, if you don't agree with me, you're against me. And this is also a polarizing thing that is happening, you know, made worse by social media and everything else, even within churches, outside of churches, with government officials. Everyone's like, okay, if you don't think exactly what I think on this issue, you must be, you know, part of the problem. You're a false teacher or you're like in bed with the government or you think, you know, it's just, it's such a time of polarization uh, that we need to acknowledge that these things are quite often more nuanced uh, than people make them out to be. See, no one cares about faith anymore. That's something that's said in the context, right? One of the, you know, when I was growing up, you, uh, there was no uh, shopping on Sundays. I think there was starting to be shopping, but you didn't have sports on Sundays. Uh, that changed when I was in elementary school. There was public school prayer. So you would go to a public school, and they would pray in Jesus' name. I'm like, wow, that's not going on uh, anymore. And some people will say, like, no one cares about faith. No, that's about loss of influence, and that's different. Loss of influence is different than hatred or persecution. So we live in this multicultural society, and would it be nice to say the Lord's Prayer in in schools? Absolutely. But this is really about loss of influence. That's in a different category from persecution or from outright uh, hatred, I would say, although you could argue uh, the case for hatred. So we need to be aware of these nuances as we go. Never were we as people of faith promised places of power in the world. Always arguing for our, our right to do this and this and this. We actually follow a man who was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. So sometimes we just need to calm down. Uh, We were never promised places of power in the culture. Uh, And so what of this is happening, this trauma people have sometimes, and it's it's worse in America because America has been in places, Christians have been in more places of power in America than Canada. So it's almost like there's this trauma around loss of of influence. Okay, so what what we are going to do we're going to say, what did Jesus say? What does this mean? And how do we respond to this changing situation? Okay, so with that, we're going to open the uh, scriptures to John 15. If you've got a Bible, that's great, or the app, open it up. And this is a part of our journey through the gospel of John. And um, <clears throat> this is John the Apostle, eyewitness. He's walked and talked with Jesus. And, um, 
And we're getting into a passage that some of your Bibles will title The Hatred of the World, hence the title of this, of this sermon. So the immediate context is the 11 apostles are with Jesus. Why isn't it 12? Because there's 12. Well, remember, Judas has gone to do his work of betrayal, which Jesus has asked him to do quickly. And so he's, he's teaching them. And this is really in the immediate lead up before his torture his, and his crucifixion. In the immediate passage, remember last week was all about abiding in Christ, abiding in Jesus. We're abiding in Him, we're, we're tarrying in Him, we're, we're residing in Him, we're spending time with Him. And this is really about closely cultivating our enduring bond with Jesus over time. And this is a source of nourishment for us, and the text last week said it's a source of great joy, but there's also some other things. And that's what He gets in. He wants to equip them. There's some other things about hatred, Okay. Uh, reading from the ESV, beginning of verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So that's, everything else is going to kind of flow from that statement. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I actually think this is a pastoral tone from Jesus. When someone shares their experience, they've been through something similar and they share it with you, that's a way to kind of encourage you or to comfort you. So uh, Sarah had gone through something at, at school and some people had said something to her and we were talking about it. I'm like, you know what, when I was in public school, elementary school, people said that to me as well. And it's just a way like she's like, oh, that makes her feel better because I'm not alone in this. There's someone else kind of going through a similar thing. So I think Jesus is taking on this uh, pastoral tone here. Now, if the world hates you, who is the world? Like the physical earth, like the muck and dirt and gunk, the particles, they don't hate, they're inanimate, right? And so what is meant there? So classically or historically, it's been like three enemies of Christians, the flesh, uh, the devil, and the world. And so what by flesh is meant is our sinful inclinations and desires that we act upon. That's what is really meant biblically by flesh. Uh, the demonic, uh, Satan, that's obvious. Uh, then the world. What is the world? When you look at the context of this passage, here's the, what the world is. The world is humans or human systems which function in ungodly ways or which oppose God. That's what is meant by the world in this context. So it's humans or human systems which function in ungodly ways or which oppose God and his rule of grace and truth. So that's the idea. So the world, that people functioning in ungodly ways which oppose God, will hate you. Now, what does hate mean? So hate is detach, it is separate, it's to look down upon, all those things. It's different from persecution, and we're going to get to persecution in a second. It's different. It's actually a bit more softer. Someone can hate you and not persecute you. I, I hate that person. I, I'm going to shun them. I'm going to detach from them. I disagree with them. That's not persecution. This is hate. What hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. Matthew Henry uh, the well-known Puritan biblical commentator says that hatred is the character and genius of the devil's kingdom. It's the character and genius of the devil's kingdom, which makes sense because love is the character and genius of God's kingdom. Okay, verse 19, if you were of the world, if you were of that opposition, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Now, this is significant because he's chosen them out of the world. The assumption is, is, is how people are born, human systems, how things naturally are is a sinful part of this world. You need to be plucked out of that existence. And one of the places I think this is said poetically is, again, in the book of Colossians, 
Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 13. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so there's a transfer that has happened from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of the beloved son, from the kingdom of of evil and hatred to the kingdom of love and of Christ. So think of this. People are often, and people are in a group, they're kind of, they're, they're loyal, they're united, they uh, support one another. There's kind of like a, a tribal group think that people are all kind of in this world together and they're kind of mutually uh, nurturing and encouraging one another. When someone goes to another group, that is not often received very well. It's like an act of defection. They are now on the enemy's side. They were once with us and now they're working against us. And so in this sense... Right? The apostles, followers of Jesus, have been plucked from the world, transferred into the kingdom. And so in the minds of the world, we're betrayers. We have defected to the other side. And this is a part of the reason why the world hates us. We have changed sides. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, here's that word, They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And the idea there is if they listen to me, they're going to listen to you because the things you're saying are the same as the things that I'm saying. But notice how he's introduced the word persecute. Persecute is more proactive. So where hate might be a feeling you have, an attitude towards someone, persecute is the next level. It has to do with pursuing. The word here, the sense is chasing down, okay, and we'll... We're going to be told an example of that a little further on in the text. Chasing down. So physically, someone is doing something. Someone throws a brick through your window because of your faith. That's a kind of persecution. If someone hunts you down, that's a kind of persecution. I would say in our modern context, if because of your faith, someone takes specific legal action against you, that is also persecution because they're, they're pursuing something. Okay, So that's the idea with, with persecution here. And so there's, there's a kind of a growing hostility between the world and, and God's people. And we and the disciples have been plucked out of that former one into the new one. And because of that, there's a separation. In one of his books, Tim Keller writes something. He says, if you welcome Jesus Christ into your life, keep your, kiss your stellar reputation goodbye. If you welcome Jesus into your life, kiss your stellar reputation goodbye. And I think that's good because so often we just are motivated by fitting in and we want other people to think well of us and we want to build up our social resume and all these things. Hard to do in the footsteps of Jesus. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Notice that. It's not because you're a jerk. It's because on account of my name. So if you're just being a jerk to people and you're rude and you're always you know, shoving stuff down people's throat, you don't have a merciful bone in your body, that doesn't count. You're just being a jerk, okay? The idea is humbly, lovingly doing things in and for Jesus. That's what's being talked about here. On account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me, meaning his heavenly Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now they're generally sinners, as we all are. Here he's talking specifically about the sin of rejecting him. You know, they're guilty of that because he's come to them in the person, in the flesh. He said all these things to them. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. This is a quote from Psalm 69. They hated me without a cause. 
So all of this is still unfolding to a plan. Do you notice that? It's all happening according to a plan. And in the context in verse 69, it's the righteous people who suffer. The righteous suffer for doing good. Godly people suffer for doing good then and now and supremely in Jesus. And we're being reminded of that fact here with that quote of the psalm. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, remember what the helper is? Holy Spirit, right? It's that special word that we talked about two weeks ago, parakletos. It's hard to translate into English. Uh, advocate, uh, comforter, a uh, helper. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is legal language. He will, he will testify to the message and mission of Jesus. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. They've been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. They will also bear witness. This is in the context of hatred and persecution. Therefore, see, sometimes we think of this way in, the, like in a very temporal, worldly way. We think, okay, we want to spread the message and mission of Jesus. We want to do the loving, gracious, forgiving, truthful, holy things that God calls us to do. If we come up with some sort of opposition, it's all going to fail. God is not thwarted. Hatred and persecution do not thwart the plans of God. The Holy Spirit will come by himself, also in and through believers, to ensure the message and the mission continues. Verse 16, sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, this is great because I love these statements because Jesus tells us specifically why he's saying what he's saying. To keep you from falling away or from being offended or from uh, stumbling. So he's giving them fair warning. It's like, hey, you have this life full of purpose in my footsteps? You have this life full of forgiveness with God and eternity and salvation, and you're going to bless people. You're going to be a blessing and abiding in Christ, previous section of text. There'll be great joy, but there's going to be challenges, and there's going to be hatred and sometimes persecution. This is fair warning. Let's say you're in a war. You're in the army, and your commanding officer says, okay, uh, we're going to go out onto the field, but there's going to be no opposition, so uh, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Uh, That's... That's going to totally affect your attitude. You're maybe just going to stroll out there without any preparation ahead of time. You're probably not even going to brandish a weapon. You're like, this is fine. There's no opposition. But if your commanding officer says to you, oh, they're going to throw at us everything they've got. We've got to be ready for this. Well, you're going to prepare. You're going to pray. You're going to, <clears throat> you're going to run out onto that field. You're going to pay attention to the commanding officer. You're going to have your weapon. Right? How, how you are prepared totally changes your mindset. And so Jesus is our commanding officer, and he is giving us fair warning. We don't have physical weapons. We have spiritual weapons. And I like, I like the language around this, that if you think you're going into a playground, when you're really going into a battleground, it's not going to go well. If you think you're going into a playground, and many people do, I love Jesus, yay! That's great, but it's not the whole picture. If you think you're going into a playground when you're really going into a battleground, uh, you're not preparing yourself and you're not listening to Jesus. And by the way, he says, if you, if you don't have that right mentality, you're going to fall away. This is actually goes back to the parable that Jesus told in Mark chapter 4. Some people in the thorns, remember? Some people fall away, they have this initial joy, and then what happens is all of a sudden some trouble and persecution comes and they what? Fall away. Same word that is used here. They fall away. So Jesus has given them fair warning. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues, right? So they will be expelled. Back in chapter 9, we were already told that there's this plan afoot that if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, 
they get tossed. So that's already happening. Uh, so that must have been traumatic uh, for them as well. Uh, here's another thing, by the way. It was actually quite dangerous. So this is in the early days. Christianity is not a separate religion from Judaism here. So these are the early times, and some people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Some people don't. So these are the early days. <clears throat> and so getting thrown out of the synagogue, uh, the tradition of your ancestors, where you worship God and learn about God, is a big deal. But not only that, the Jews had this kind of special status under the Romans, under the period of oppression. And so they did not have to bow down in allegiance to the emperor because they had this special... This doesn't mean that the Jews were treated very well. They had a lot of difficulties. But they did not have to bow down, show obedience to Caesar. Not only that, but they didn't have to sign up for Roman military service. So if you get tossed out of the synagogue, all bets are off. And so it's a very dangerous situation for them. Indeed, continuing, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. An example of which is Saul, who becomes Paul, right? He was a hunter of Christians before he uh, converted to Jesus, confronted him, and before he became uh, a Christian. It's a fascinating story. He was hunting them down uh, out of his service to God. And fascinating story, powerful. You can read it in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. And they will do these things, verse 3, because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes to you, comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So he's forewarning them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I'll have this governing thought that I would like to go through uh, our heads here as we ponder five responses. And it's this idea, there are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. And I want us to keep this in mind because our life here on earth is temporary, and there are blood, sweat, and tears in so many other facets of our life. Well, there are going to be blood, sweat, and tears involved in our discipleship as well, leading up to the gates of heaven. Think of that moment, and there are people we know, loved ones, who have, who have made that incredible, amazing journey already. There are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. So keep that in mind as we go through these five things. First, expect hatred. Expect it, right? <clears throat> so we need to note that this passage isn't the only place where it talks about this. As I was going through and doing my research, like so many places talk about this sorts of things. Perhaps the most famous example is 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul summarizes the situation like this. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, here in Canada, and I know a few watch from, from other places, um, we're not really at a place, of, I don't think, of overt persecution, uh, there is growing hatred. But here's some of the things that, that are occurring. Uh, first comes derision, and there's sneering. There's loss of certain opportunities. There's being making fun of. And there's also something uh, emerging. I don't know if you've noticed this. There's like a double standard when it comes to uh, diversity, all these sorts of kind of modern cultural values. Uh, but Christianity is almost dealt with as in a separate category. And I would say there's a new thing called emerging that I just, in my own thinking, call the MCM, which is the majority culture morality. MCM, majority culture morality. And so if you don't kind of fit into that, you are increasingly pushed onto uh, the margins, right? Um, and there's this double standard, which is a part of that. So I was speaking with a young person, let's say who it is, fairly recently. They go to a school in the Simcoe County School Board, and this is an elementary school student, and they were talking to their teacher, and their teacher was saying, 
Uh, Jesus probably didn't walk on water. Uh, he was, uh, he, it's probably like really dense salt water, so dense that you couldn't sink. Or maybe he was watching, walking so close to the shore that people just thought he was walking on water. This is a person of authority in a public school saying this to a young person whose faith is very sincere. Now, let me ask you this. If a new student had come from Iran and, and a teacher had said, you know what, Allah isn't really God and, 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 and Muhammad isn't, isn't the prophet and what the things are written in the Quran, you just can't really take that seriously. Would they be fired the next day? Maybe. So there's kind of this emerging double standard when you think about. In 2022, uh, three acclaimed films, The Whale, uh, The Wonder, and Women Talking, all three had as a major villain Christianity. These are the things we need to be thinking about, okay? This is part of the expected climate. We can't be surprised by these things. So as we keep these things in mind, we're also remembering there are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. Number two, be prepared to respond with love. So this compels a certain response in us, so we need to keep this in mind. What Jesus tells this to the disciples, he tells it to prepare them. They shouldn't be surprised. They should be prepared, not surprised. After all, he has said what is going to happen. How do we respond? We respond with love. The context is this larger section of teaching, going back to chapter 13. What does he say? Here's a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And there's no exception to that. In case some are thinking here, okay, well, he said that to the disciples. Surely a situation of hatred and persecution is different. Not really. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. Now, I want to quote Martin Luther King Jr., who has an inspiring word at this point, taken from the American dream. And I think... um, Martin Luther King Day was fairly recently. Get this, he says this, in the midst of what he was going through in the civil rights movement, to our most bitter opponents we say, throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our houses and threaten our children and we will still love you. Beat us and leave us half dead and we will still love you, but be ye assured that we will wear you out by our capacity to suffer. One day we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process that our victory will be a double victory. End quote. (laughs) That's so powerful. I love that quote uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I'm not expecting that our situation is going to be like, I don't think you're going to be facing that kind of intense persecution on a day-to-day basis. But what I've said about loss of influence, changing culture, changing time, majority culture, morality, all these sorts of things, it is a reminder to to refocus our attention on what Jesus said to love no matter what. So when people make fun of you, we know the response. You respond with love. When people look down their nose at you at school or work, well, we don't like it, but we respond in love. When someone introduces legislation which is contrary to the will of God, We might write letters, we might advocate, but we will respond with love. When your kids get excluded because of Jesus, we respond with love. And so, yes, there are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. Number three, God uses persecution for his purposes. Now, we need to keep this in mind, right? Because what I said before, it's like, okay, we think that 
There's this difficult thing. Things are happening. There's the loss of influence for Christians in the world. Uh, there is hatred. There is some persecution. Maybe not a lot. Maybe it's coming immediately. Maybe it's 50, 100 years away. We don't really know. But God uses persecution for his purposes. So it's not like these things that we come up against are going to tie the hands of God. We need to remember that. So it's interesting, right, because of the context, he talks about the advocate, the paraclete, who will bear witness, the disciples will bear witness both then and now. Even in Luke 12, there's this interesting passage where um, the disciples are going to be uh, up against the authorities. And this is a, this is a kind of a, a context of hatred and persecution. And even in that moment, if they don't know what to say, he's like, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. How awesome and amazing is that? You're in this moment where you're not sure what to say, but this is about Jesus and, and bearing witness about him or speaking something of his message and mission. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to work through his people even in situations like that. I was watching a, uh, listening to a podcast by the Gospel Coalition recently about what we can learn here in North America from the experience of Christians in China. Uh, they have a very different situation from us. Uh, it's kind of evolving a little bit over there, but uh, a lot of churches are still underground. Um, and a lot of there has been historically a lot of persecution of Christians in China, buildings being blown up, houses, like the whole thing. Uh, one of the speakers who's from China said that, uh, get this, since the 1970s, the church in China has grown 60-fold. Not five-fold, not ten-fold, 60-fold. Now, the church doesn't only grow when there's hatred or persecution against it. Sometimes there's periods of peace, and we need to acknowledge that. That's great. The, the fields are ripe, and, and good work can be done. But the reason I say this is because opposition or hatred or persecution does not stop the message and mission of God. And we need to have that confidence as his people and how we respond. There are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. Fourth. We need to remember the big glorious picture. The big glorious picture. Hatred and persecution are temporary. And so if we fall victim to the thinking that this life is all there is, this is really going to get us down, right? Because we want good things in our lives as well, mixed in with some of the more challenging things. So we need to keep the big picture in mind. And as you go through the scriptures talking about hardship or persecution or hatred, there's some really great reminders. Let me share a couple of them with you. James 1.12, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So those of us who are in Christ one day in heaven, we're like, can you believe these crowns? This is amazing. We have the crowns of life. From that perspective, looking back, we're like, you know what? It was worth it. The crown of life. Get this. Um, the apostle Peter, after the resurrection, he wrote a lot about persecution. And, and as, as this started to kind of ratchet up for Christians in the Roman Empire, he says, he says this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because... The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Bless, not curse. Think of that in the spiritual realm. You can't see what's going on. Maybe you don't feel very good, but you are humbly and lovingly speaking in the name of Jesus. You receive an insult in that moment in the spiritual realm. It's like the spirit of glory and of God is all around you, draping you with heavenly grace. That's what God sees. This big picture was surely in mind when Puritan Richard Sibbs stated, they can kill us, but they cannot harm us. They can kill us, but they cannot harm us. It's about faithfulness not fitting in. It's about faithfulness not fitting in. 
It's about faithfulness not fitting in. There are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. Finally, rejoice, number five. I've used this phrase before, but I think it's appropriate to share again. We need as God's people to fall out of love with fitting in. We need to fall out of love with fitting in because so much of it, part of our sinful inclination as people is we want to fit in. We want to fit in with our peers. We want to fit in with what's popular, with what's good. And there are still many things as a part of our faith that are, you know, good in the world. Uh, that, you know, kindness and forgiveness. These are traits that, that I think are generally accepted and, and, and appreciated. So that's good. So it's not like everything about us is contrary to other things. But when it's all about fitting in, that becomes the measuring line. That becomes the standard as opposed to faithfulness. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus spoke to this very clearly. And the uh, Sermon on the Mount, perhaps most, the most you know, famous religious teaching all over the world, uh, chapters 5 to 7, in chapter 5, he says this, Blessed are you, this is Jesus talking, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, there's that word, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So it's because of the account of Jesus. Rejoice, what? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, what's interesting about there, a couple couple things here. First of all, sharing insult in the name of Jesus or for the sake of Jesus actually puts us in very good company. You want the approval of others? You are standing in line with the prophets of God in that moment. That's one thing. Another thing is that your reward is great in heaven. It's like those who are insulted and persecuted for the name of Jesus will have even greater reward in heaven. Imagine my child coming home one day and someone was making fun of them, their faith, or because they went to church or they had a cross on or whatever, and you know, all the various things. And we talk about it and, and try to understand and sympathize and talk about it, and then, and then we try to rejoice in it. Let's give thanks to God that we had the opportunity to stand out and stand up for Jesus. I wonder what that reward in heaven's going to be like. Isn't that going to be amazing? There are blood, sweat, and tears leading up to the gates of heaven, but no further. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Quick summary, one, expect hatred. Two, be prepared to respond with love. Three, know that God uses persecution for his purposes. He is not thwarted. Four, remember the big glorious picture. Five, rejoice. And so we are talking about abiding with Christ, generally speaking, especially from last week. Uh, Does abiding in Christ meaning abiding in the approval of others? Not always. Does abiding in Christ meaning living a life totally of comfort all the time? No, it doesn't. It's joy, it's peace, it's wonder, it's contentment, and it's hatred at the hands of others. William Gurnall, uh, who was a Puritan, he wrote uh, a book called Uh, The Christian in Complete Armor, he had a great quote, and I'd like to share it with you as a final word. Uh, And this is about, so if you're close to Jesus, if you're abiding with Jesus, uh, you're going to be, you're you're close in proximity. So imagine you're hugging someone who gets sprayed with a big fire hose. You're going to get wet. So what happens to Jesus is going to happen to his people. And this is what Gurnall says, if they spit on your face, Christ will wipe it off. What a blessing. If they spit on your face, Christ will wipe it off. Thanks be to God. Amen.